We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We will see how long my voice lasts. <laughs> You'll notice it's a little raspy, but <clears throat> thankful to be back and uh, to be with you this morning. <clears throat> Let's just uh, uh, go to the Lord again once in prayer. Lord, um, we pray that uh, our time this morning would be fruitful. And uh, Lord, as we have opportunity in a few minutes to even just have some interaction and question and answer time, Lord, even now, just bring to mind perhaps some question that someone might have, someone's hesitation or just trouble, uh, Lord, and <clears throat> knowing how to best, Lord, present your word in the gospel. And so, Lord, give us clarity of mind about that and encouragement along the way. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I've titled uh, <clears throat> this part of the series as Personalizing Our Evangelism. Personalizing Our Evangelism. And what I mean by that is that we must be mindful of the kind of person that we're sharing the gospel with and uh, <clears throat> in that way personalize our approach accordingly. For instance, um, you'll very likely evangelize to a young child differently than you will um, someone that's uh, a staunch atheist. And so we need to learn how to you know, tailor or to kind of uh, personalize our approach along the way. And I think we do that somewhat naturally, obviously, but at the same time, there's, I think we can think a little bit more critically about it and, uh, and learn how to better do that. And so that's that's our goal uh, this morning, along again with our Q&A time, which uh, we'll save for the last 10 or 15 minutes or so. Our goal in this series has been to better equip us in the ministry of personal evangelism. Why, we might ask? Well, <clears throat> because we believe the, that the Bible has commissioned every believer to be spreading the gospel, and uh, not just missionaries or pastors or evangelists. It's all of our responsibility being personally responsible to evangelize, then we must be able to proclaim the gospel in a clear and complete manner. And I've emphasized that the past few weeks, that we want to do it clearly, and we want to present a complete or full gospel presentation. And so that's why uh, we focused a few weeks ago on the content of the gospel, and we had that handout, the fundamentals of the gospel. There's still a few more sheets back there, or they're on the website, uh, fbcaa.org slash docs, and you can see it there as well. The first week, uh, we explored common challenges that may keep us from evangelizing. And then uh, the next week, as we just said, we examined the content of the gospel. And then last week, we considered the mindset and methods necessary for a faithful gospel witness. <clears throat> I hope that uh, what we have learned thus far has given us greater confidence and a sense of preparedness to share the gospel. However, I would say that 
Personally, one of the best ways to feel more prepared and better equipped is to just start doing it. And I think that's true of any kind of skill set, of any kind of um, you know, thing you're trying to learn to do, um, is to just start trying and to practice more. I learned personally that that is what has helped me the most. I said last week that we should be building relationships as part of the methods and approach to faithful gospel witness and that those relationships should specifically be what we are calling redemptive relationships, seeking to build relationships with the goal of drawing them in, uh, through the Spirit's strength and work to Christ. And I mentioned that Matthew and Zacchaeus set a great example for us in the way in which they used the established relationships that they already have in order to reach the lost. And notice that uh, in those examples, these were not new relationships, but friends that they already had, acquaintances, co-workers of theirs. Um, let's, we, we saw the uh, Matthew passage last week. Let's just go to the, uh, the one about Zacchaeus. That's Luke chapter 19. We'll just look at that for just a moment. Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, you see the storyline go as this. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was going to pass, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, it doesn't say specifically in this text that um, Zacchaeus invited others into his house like Matthew did, but we might be able to make the presumption that he did have others with him in his household, at least his uh, servants and his household members. And so I think between these two texts, the one we looked at last week, Luke 5 with Matthew, and uh, the example here with Zacchaeus, what we see is an example of them using the relationships that they already have and redeeming those, in a sense, by inviting them into their home to hear what Jesus had to say. <clears throat> it can be much easier to make inroads with someone you already know versus trying to meet a stranger and build a relationship with him, and not that we shouldn't do that. I think those are, you know, can be wonderful, fruitful opportunities but again, God has, I assume, placed many people in your lives uh, whom you already have established relationships between, maybe a coworker, a friend, 
neighbors, a family member? What about the friends you used to uh, hang around with before you were saved? Well, maybe you don't want to be doing some of the same things that they're doing, but you still have established relationships with them, and they need Christ too, don't they? Sharing the gospel with those who you already have built a relationship with can potentially be some of the most fruitful witnessing opportunities that you will ever have. Why? Because you've already built trust with them, and uh, they're willing to perhaps hear what you have to say versus the the stranger on the road that uh, doesn't know you, doesn't know where you come from, or they don't obviously think that you know them very well either. So following the example of Matthew and Zacchaeus, we are encouraged to open our doors as well to these kinds of people to give them the gospel. Matthew and Zacchaeus gathered into their homes, tax collectors, those who were despised in that day and age. Because why? They wanted them to experience what they themselves experienced. Will you be a Matthew or a Zacchaeus and introduce sinners to Jesus? I hope and pray that we have that kind of mindset and love for the lost. So I just wanted to, to bring some clarity to that this morning, that when we talk about building, building re- relationships, it doesn't necessarily have to be with just those that are strangers, but building re- redemptive relationships with those that we already know and those uh, <clears throat> who need Christ. Now, for a little while this morning, I'd like us to consider the fact that we must be mindful of the kind of person we are evangelizing to and personalize our approach accordingly. This is not a question of the content of the gospel, meaning, you know, what what content should we share, what should we keep out. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about our approach or a method to which uh, we ought to use to reach these kinds of people. Rather, this is about how we engage with them in a discussion about the gospel. As I said earlier at the beginning, it wouldn't be very personal. Uh, well, let me say this, say this first. It wouldn't be very personal to rattle off the gospel using your favorite method without ever contemplating that person's individual needs, their re- religious background perhaps, their familiarity with the Bible or questions or objections they might have. No, you need to engage in conversation with them in a personal manner and um, and not just uh, have kind of your own agenda. Of course, we have an agenda, but we need to understand and and oblige to their questions as well. For instance, as I said earlier, earlier, you would likely have a different approach to sharing the gospel with an elderly man sitting in the park versus perhaps a member of the LGBTQ plus community, you're going to have a different approach. They come from a different background. Um, they have different worldviews, and so we, we approach them differently. Likewise, like I said earlier, how you witness to a staunch atheist is going to differ how you're, you're witnessing to the child that just attended VBS. And, uh, and so we need to think a little bit more critically about that, I think, in order to be better equipped in those situations. Now, I've, I've kind of grouped um, uh, people into three different categories here, but really there's multiple categories, but I've, I've grouped uh, unbelievers into these three categories in order to help us think about this a little bit more critically. And first um, is the indifferent person, the indifferent 
person. Such a person is entirely earth-centered in their outlook, hopes, and aspirations. They're sensual people, and what I mean by that is that they're living in the realm of their senses, what they can see and touch and taste and feel. They're not worried about kind of transcendent matters, you know, God and such. They exhibit no concern for life after death. You can probably think of such a person that you've met that really doesn't really care what's going to happen next. They haven't thought about it critically. They're more focused on their career. Uh, if they're a young person, they, you know, they're not thinking about being old and passing away at some point. They're just worried about um, you know, what job they're going to have and who they're going to marry and how rich they're going to be. My experience is that many in my generation specifically, and maybe it's just because of my age, but I think also just the direction of the world that it's going, many in my generation don't think about these matters seriously at all about life after death. And many of my, or some of my witnessing opportunities, I, we would often start the question with, what do you think is going to happen after you die? And the common response was, I don't know. And they were rather just indifferent about it. They didn't really care. It didn't seem to matter too much to them. Others uh, may think more seriously about this matter. Those who are older in age may think about this more often. And they are uh, <clears throat> considering where they will end up once they die. But this indifferent kind of person doesn't have this kind of eternal mindset and so we must explain to them in our, in our approach and in our witnessing that God has a purpose for them in this life because there is a life after death. And that purpose for them is to honor and serve God and to have fellowship with him. And we saw that in the fundamentals of the gospel handout, that was one of the first areas where we start. We start with God is the creator and he has a plan and a purpose for you. And so this Person, this kind of person needs to understand that and to be able to grasp that, that uh, very matter, that fact, that God has a purpose for them in this life that has ramifications and implications in the life after they die. We must also explain to this kind of person that they are accountable before God for sin that they commit. This life is not just about uh, divulging in their own pleasures and desires. It's not just about their five senses and the things that they desire, their aspirations. It's about God, and they are accountable to this God. And I think even just as importantly or more, this kind of person must understand the, the eternal context of life, the eternal context of life. This person must ex understand, and we should explain from Scripture, that there is a judgment day coming. Life doesn't just end when they die. And more than that, when they die, they will immediately stand before God. They will stand before God after death, and they will be judged according to their works. And they must understand that as they stand now, in their situation, in their depravity, their lostness, they will be pronounced guilty. 
course, we don't just end there with this kind of person, this approach. They must understand that, the eternal context of life, and that they will stand before God for, and be judged for their works and be judged guilty because of their sin. But then we must continue as we should with the gospel and offer them the hope of the gospel. Share with them the good news of salvation and, the, and that uh, salvation promises forgiveness of sins, freedom from bondage of sin in this life. But it also promises things that go beyond this life. It promises eternal life, entrance into the kingdom of God, and restored fellowship with God forever. Of course, uh, there's many more things that we could talk about in this, this kind of person that, you know, this hypothetical person we're presenting here that's indifferent to the things of God. But these are the, some of the things that I think we need to focus on, especially, and that is the eternal context of life, that there is something after they die. And that something is, is, relates to um, uh, their standing before God. There's another kind of person, and I'll say this. I think it's not as if one person only falls into one of these categories. <laughs> uh, you know, People are unique beings, and they can have all of these kind of tendencies in them. But I think we can still broadly categorize people uh, like this. The second kind of person is the self-righteous person. The self-righteous person is, or self-righteousness is clearly the basis of all works-based religions, which all rely in some way on the individual's capacity to achieve moral acceptability. Even those who don't affiliate themselves with a particular religion, like Roman Catholicism, maybe one of the you know what we think of first when we think of works-based religions. But even if a person doesn't affiliate themselves with any particular religion, although I'll say this, everyone has some belief system, don't let uh, even the staunch atheists tell you that they don't have a belief system. They do. They do have some kind of belief. But such a person, um, even if they're not affiliated with, again, a works kind of based religion, would ascribe to themselves righteousness, right? The typical person that you speak with is going to say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a good person, and uh, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm fine." And so they're ascribing to themselves righteousness uh, invalidly, but they do so anyways. The self-righteous person is satisfied with himself as he is, and he minimizes, excuses, or ignores his faults. He lifts himself up, up on a pedestal and thinks, yeah, I'm a good person. But he chooses to suppress what he knows is true, that in his heart he is not perfect and there are faults in himself. In my experience, this kind of person will admit that there is evil in the world. You ask them, you know, does sin exist? Well, yeah, of course. You know, people lie, steal, cheat. Um... You know, lust. So they'll admit that there's evil in the world, but what they fail to recognize is that there's an evil that lies within their own heart. And this is what we need to help this kind of person understand, that evil doesn't just lie without, outside of them, but the real issue is the evil that lies within their heart. This kind of person often compares himself to others, 
and decides in his own heart, based on his own criteria, that he is better than the other person. He's better than his neighbor, than his roommate, than the murderer, than the thief, than the adulterer. And so he has this kind of horizontal vision in comparing himself to those around him rather than a kind of vertical evaluation in which he evaluates himself in comparison to God. We must help this person understand in, in our approach to evangelizing with them that God is the standard, not man. God is the standard, not man. God's standard then requires perfection as he himself is perfect. Explain to this kind of person from scripture that whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point is what? Guilty of all, James chapter 2 verse 10 tells us. I think this is a wonderful verse to to explain to them amongst others that even one little failure uh, makes them guilty of all. And so I've often asked this kind of person, and I encourage you to do the same, to ask them these kinds of questions like, have you ever stolen something? Even the smallest thing? Maybe when you were a child? Well, yeah, okay. Well, that's a sin. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever looked at another man or a woman with lust? Ray Comfort uh, uses this kind of evangelism approach by going through the Ten Commandments and asking them this similar kind of question. Have you lied? Have you stolen? Have you ever lusted after someone? Have you ever coveted something? Oh, yeah. And they very soon begin to realize uh, the sin and evil within their own heart. Um, They normally wouldn't evaluate evaluate themselves on this criteria um, because they're looking out amongst others and evaluating them in comparison to them, not to God. And so we need to reorient their thinking and understanding of who, uh, who and what is the standard. Explain to them that all of these are sins and worthy of God's just punishment. There's another kind of person that uh, we've already alluded to and that is the atheistic person. Perhaps you could put the agnostic in here as well. But uh, we find these kind of people in our world today, and they need Christ as well. And in our approach to this kind of person, we must avoid mere intellectual argument. I would say you know, this kind of person, is, their tendency is to go down that route, to argue their way and to argue you into some kind of other conversation off from the gospel. They want to, you know, they want to talk about science, they want to talk about philosophy. The one thing they don't want to talk about is God. And so we need to make sure that in our approach to this person, yes, we can answer their questions and I think we should from scripture. But at the end of the day, we can't let them guide the conversation. We need to present to them the gospel. That is what they need beyond uh, any other answer they think they need to their question. So we must avoid mere intellectual arguments. And I'll, I'll encourage you with this. You know, these kind of people can be very argumentative and, uh, and may ask what seemingly are very intellectual questions, according to man's intellect. 
And don't be afraid to tell them, you know what, I'll have to think more about that question. Let me write it down and let me get back to you. They should allow you to do that. Um, and, and then steer the conversation back to the gospel. And, uh, but then, you know, come back to them and give them an answer. Come to pastor or I or someone else and say, help me formulate a good answer to this question based on scripture, and then follow up with them. But don't be afraid to just admit, you know what, I don't think I can give a full answer right now, but uh, I'd like to get back to you about that. As I said, the atheistic person will try to steer the conversation away, but we must center on the real issue, the problem of sin. It could be said that the root cause of atheism um, is expressed by the Lord in John 3, verses 19 and 20. Let me just read that just for a moment here, and then we'll move on. But John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says... Let me, let me actually just start back in verse 18. It says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed." And so I think we can say, uh, I think we can come to the conclusion that the root cause of atheism is this, is people do not want to be accountable for their sin. Atheism is a cloak that hides them from being accountable to a sovereign God. They don't want to uh, have to give an account to God. They want to continue to live in darkness and in their sin. Their prime motive for adopting these views is their love of sin. It's not the love of science or proving our existence from some other way of, of becoming into existence. It is their love of sin. People reject the existence of God because they want to indulge in sin and be free to do what their passions want. I think one of the most helpful things we can do for this kind of person is appeal to their conscience. Go to Romans uh, and talk about that. Romans 1 and 2 and appeal to their conscience. Help them understand that you have been given a conscience which informs you to some extent of what is morally right and wrong. Now, Romans 1 tells them they have suppressed that in untruth. And what they know about God, they've you know, purposely put away. But yet at the same time, I think down in them somewhere, we can help them recognize that they, can, they should admit they know there is things that are morally right and morally, morally wrong. And that has been placed, that conscience and that real recognition of those things has been placed there by a sovereign God. And so I think one of the best things we can do for this kind of person, as I just said, is appeal to their conscience for what is right and wrong and use that as a segue then to, to introduce the gospel. Now, um, I know we've kind of only briefly looked at these three categories, and again, as I said at the beginning, I think we could create other categories as well, but 
I hope well, we can use these um, examples as kind of uh, means of approaching people in different ways. Of course, a child, the way you might approach them is from a uh, uh, recognition that they're going to be largely ignorant about the things of God. Now, maybe they've grown up in church, and so they have some knowledge, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, we have to help them understand the full um, you know, picture of Scripture and walk them through who Jesus is. And so, you know, that's just another example of how we might approach someone differently. But these are three main categories that I think we can kind of uh, place people in. But I wanted to use um, the rest of our time this morning, and maybe we'll do this again, uh, to just have some question and answer time. And I'll be honest, if there's a question I can't fully answer right now, um, maybe we'll have kind of our, our next time together as uh, a follow-up to that. I'll be able to provide a fuller uh, explanation. But uh, on this uh, topic of personal evangelism, um, perhaps uh, you might have a question about uh, the content of the gospel or how to present the gospel to a specific kind of person. Um, really, the, the, the floor is open to whatever question you have. But does anyone have a question this morning, um, something you've been thinking about in relationship to this, this topic? Christy. So just for those who are online, uh, Christy's asking about the possibility of, of some role play of, of evangelism. And actually, Pastor and I had talked about that a few weeks ago. And I had it in my mind to do that at some point. Uh, and so I think we can work that in. And I'm already thinking of a few people that I could do that with. Um, and, uh, but I think that is very helpful because, like you said, Christy, I think it's one thing to see it on paper and say, yeah, this, we know this. And uh, I, can, I can say this, but then standing before that person and uh, maybe you just get thrown off by a question they ask or an objection that they have. And so, um, yes, the short answer is yes. I think that's something we can do, and I think that would be helpful uh, for all of us and uh, I think bolster our confidence in, in our own abilities as well to say, you know, I, I can do that. And, um, and maybe when we do that too, we can have the person that, um, is being evangelized to come up with some objections and uh, learn how, okay, how do we address those, you know, and, and so, yeah. Thurman, did you have something? That would help for those who are online, so I don't have to repeat oh, everything. Okay. Thanks. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. I want to remind everyone to keep in mind this isn't a salesman approach to truth. It's not our task to, to, to convince people against their will, but that our mission is to deliver the truth. Mm -hmm. 
And that might reduce some of the anxiety that we might be internalizing for fear that we won't close the deal, quote unquote. But our objective is to implant truth in the mind because I've had the occasion of trying to persuade you know a certain person as the truth of the gospel and I thought I did a pretty good job but they weren't impressed they just weren't and maybe someday later they will be but mm -hmm. for that entire for that moment it just didn't seem to bear fruit and I think once I understood that uh, Salvation, as we were discussing yesterday, is of the Lord. Amen. That encourages you to go ahead and do the evangelizing. Yeah. Out of, number one, concern and love for the, I have people in my family I've tried to evangelize out of just a desperate love for their safety. You just can't require a person to believe. So the mission is just to deliver and pray. That would, that would be my my um, contribution to I think what you're driving at. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and that is encouraging. We have to remind ourselves that it's the spirit of God uh, that closes the deal, so to speak, uh, if He chooses. And uh, we're there just to present a clear and complete gospel. I would say to Thurman, my uh, spiritual big brother, that I've always wanted kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Um, our job is to preach the gospel. So are you writing saying that after we do that, we have to leave it to the Lord to draw this person because we aren't salesmen. I think in our conversation, we sometimes get frustrated because we go home at night and go, what, what didn't I say that I mm. should have said? For example, brother, you and I were speaking a couple weeks ago about how do you convince someone that God was not created. We know that the universe had a beginning, therefore it has a cause. Um, and it has to because it has a beginning. But God, who is the creator of the world and of time itself, is not limited to time. That's something that sometimes people just can't, I mean, sometimes I can't wrap my little <laughs> finite mind around that. But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Very good. Any other questions? Oh, a little bit. Ben, or comments, too, are appreciated. Uh, Zacchaeus said, um, All my, or half my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by a false accusation, I restore fourfold. So my question is, what is that, uh, since it, Scripture doesn't tell us specifically what Jesus told Zacchaeus, what is Zacchaeus' comments? imply about Jesus gospel message and what Jesus said to Zacchaeus <laughs> yeah I think the response that we <clears throat> is this on it's a little quiet there we go um, I think as we think about that too um, we can see that uh, Zacchaeus is responding with a repentant faith he's recognizing the fault uh, the guilt of his sin, and he's wanting to uh, repent of that and do something about that. And so uh, the kind of gospel that we see presented all throughout the New Testament is a gospel of repentance. 
repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And so uh, I think, I don't know if that's what you're driving at, Ben. Maybe there's something else there. Okay. Sure. Yeah. George? This kind of uh, goes with uh, Thurman. Um, the idea is that uh, we, we don't have the responsibility. It's, the, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit that is drawing someone to the Father through the Son. And, and the word is, in Greek is helko. And it doesn't just mean to draw, but it, it can literally mean to drag off to pull somebody out of that darkness into the light to hear the truth and that an inward power is engaged. That's the full meaning of uh, God drawing someone to himself through his son. Amen. Yeah. Outside of the supernatural work of God, no one's going to get out of the darkness on their own. Yeah. Christy, and then... uh, Becky. I was just thinking, there has to be some, um, maybe like a middle ground. I'm not sure I'm expressing this properly. Um, But for instance, when we share the gospel with children, they're limited in what they can understand. But I'm convinced that they are able to trust the Lord as their Savior from what they do understand. Um, they might not completely understand the kingdom aspect of the gospel and all of these other parts of it that they can grow into, but they can believe with what they know, that they need a Savior and that Jesus is it. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that even in the New Testament. The thief on the cross didn't know everything, but he knew enough that he needed Jesus as his Savior. You know, the blind man, I, I don't know who this was, but I was blind, but now I see. You know, that... Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes maybe we limit ourselves by what we, what we think we can't communicate or won't communicate. And um, I just, I look at those simple examples. And, you know, I think about my own children, my own life as a child. And we don't have to be so complicated. You know, we have to be clear and we have to be truthful. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you only have five minutes... You only have five minutes. Yep. You know, Jesus died for your sins. It, it, yep. it can be as simple as that. Maybe, maybe you're the last person to water the seed, and that's going to be what's going to, you know, cause that seed to actually sprout. You don't know where you are in that planting and watering process. You yep. know, and I, I, I just think sometimes maybe we have too many things in our minds, you know, and yeah. depending on the person, the simple may be enough that they can understand that they're sinners and Jesus died for them. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And like you said, Christy, I mean, sometimes we only have those few minutes uh, on a bus ride or in the grocery store. And um, I think I can say confidently that we can, in that short time, present a clear and complete gospel and, um, you know, pointing them to Christ, their need for a Savior, their need, you know, their problem of sin, and, and present the, the hope of Christ. And I think a child can grasp even those, those, those uh, very basic tenets of the gospel. And, you know, just a quick use an example, um, 
like to, to follow what you're saying, Christy, is you know a, a child may not be able to grasp every aspect of salvation and the full implications of salvation in the, in the kingdom. But as they grow, we expect them to embrace those things as true if they're truly you know born again. And you know the same could say be said about a believer or someone that doesn't get saved till they're forty. They may only know the basic gospel truths, but we expect them as they grow in, in spiritual growth and are you know taught to embrace everything else that comes along with that. And so we're not using those as conditions for salvation, that they must understand everything in order to be saved, but we expect that as they grow, a true believer will embrace those things as the truth. So um, hopefully that gives some kind of peace about that too, that, you know, I need to present the gospel, but um, at the same time, they're, you know, we don't have to introduce them to every single verse in the Bible um, uh, before, you know, we can expect them to get saved. <clears throat> Becky. Piggybacking off what one of the things Christy said, I think it would be helpful for those of us who are not comfortable with this um, to actually go with someone who is. Mm-hmm. And so once the, the demonstration and, mm-hmm. you know, whatnot, actually go, I don't know how that would look like to go have coffee with somebody and but yeah. that's just a thought no uh, it, i learned by seeing <laughs> so we uh i i like to use the example of when christ sent out his disciples he sent them out what two by two and i think there's a reason for that even building confidence between the other uh when you kind of maybe have a slip of the mind and can't think of what to say the other person can jump in and so I, you know, I often enjoy going out with, with other people. I've gone out with Drew, Nelson. Uh, and to, to your point, Becky, you know, this doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't have to be out on the street evangelizing. Let's begin, like I said earlier, with the relationships we have. And so I'd be happy or find someone else that maybe is more confident uh, to go with you and sit down with your friend or coworker over coffee and, and just talk. And so, again, it doesn't... You don't have to start with a stranger. Uh, start with someone you know. And uh, I think that'll even, you know, give you more confidence. It will give you more confidence. I know that. Uh, so great idea, Becky. And uh, let's, let's follow up about that afterwards. All right. Uh, I'm keeping my record of holding you over five minutes each time. So <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Let's uh, close in a quick prayer, and then uh, we'll go our way. Heavenly Father. Uh, thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that um, as it's been exposed even through some of these questions, Lord, that you would help us overcome some of these fears, Lord, false expectations perhaps, and Lord, uh, help us to uh, have, have a joy about this, Lord, and not just overcome the fear, but have a joy in sharing Christ and, and uh, in, the, in the Word of God with them. And to help us, Lord, in, in, this, in these areas, Lord, in my weaknesses and all of ours, Lord, to be better, um, <clears throat> better laborers, Lord, in your field. In Christ's name, amen.